All right. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, please. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, the message entitled, The Only Way to God. Paul just um, commanded the Philippians to think like Christ towards others by a threefold description of Christ's humility of mind for the service of others. In verse 6 through 8, um, described by the greatness of Christ's humility in verse 6, the extent of Christ's humility in verse 7, and the depth of Christ's humility in verse 8. Christ manifested his humility of mind in the incarnation, a supreme example of unselfish humility for the interests of others, not his own. The mind is to be motivated by agape love. The mind that is esteeming others better than self. He's the, the ultimate example. Now, as we mentioned last time, verse 6 through 11 is one connected sentence about the humility and exaltation of Christ and believed to be um, an early church hymn that was sung and worshipped by Christians. Now, Paul gives the consequential outcome of the humiliation of Christ by a threefold description of his glorification in verse 9 through 11. Let me read here. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul gives a consequential outcome of the humiliation of Christ. The threefold description of his glorification is as follows. First, the greatness of his exaltation in verse 9. The extent of his exaltation in verse 10. And the height of his exaltation in verse 11. He begins with the greatness of his exaltation, verse 9. Notice the Apostle Paul pointed out the greatness of Christ's exaltation as the result of his humiliation. The word, therefore. Paul is referring back to the previous section of humiliation of Christ by the word, therefore, here, which means um, for which cause, in view of the fact, consequently, or on account of. When you find a therefore, you always have to say, Conclusion. It's a sum total of what has preceded. Okay? It's a conclusion. The humiliation of Christ, noticed through the incarnation, was and is the reason for the exaltation of Jesus, who is the Christ. It's connected. But Paul was referring to five specific things regarding his humiliation that he mentioned there. In view of the fact that Jesus had the mind of looking out for others and not himself in verse 5. In view of the fact that Jesus didn't attempt to hold on to his position of being God for himself in verse 6. In view of the fact that Jesus divested himself of his glory and came in the form of a servant in verse 7. And in view of the fact that Jesus humbly obeyed God throughout his life, even to the death of the cross, verse 8. 
in view of all this. It's connected. But notice that Paul the Apostle pointed out God exalted Jesus the Christ. He says, God also has highly exalted him. Paul is not speaking about an earthly exaltation here as a mere man by men, but rather a supreme exaltation. The phrase highly exalted means to exalt to the highest rank and power. The idea is to be raised to a supreme majesty. It's a superlative, not a comparative. Okay? We look at two people, we say, well, he's a 10 and he's an 8. That's comparative. Jesus is up here, no comparison. Big difference. The word appears only this time in the New Testament. Now notice the exaltation is one of a kind then. God the Father supremely exalted Jesus. No one else. No one else shares this exaltation with Jesus. This supreme exaltation is unique of him, his mission. Paul is moving and speaking about a spiritual higher plane. Yes, we can say that Christ merited his exaltation in view of the humiliation. Yes, Jesus received glory in his human nature, in the resurrection, ascension, and sitting at the right hand of God. But the fact is, this has nothing with meriting, deserving. It's something that is a little different. Lenski, the Greek scholar, says, but... The thought is not that now his human nature receives God's form and the condition of equality with God as some think. This existed in the incarnation, evident of the two natures with all the attributes of the first Adam and of God. 100% God, 100% man. That was already there. He just veiled it with the body. Paul is describing the uniqueness of Jesus being highly exalted to the highest rank and power with supreme majesty. And it was because Jesus took back to heaven something he did not possess when he left heaven. You ready for it? His humanity. You see? He was always the son of God, but he was not human until the incarnation. Jesus has a glorified human body right now. He's the glorified Christ, the go-between God and man. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and and man, listen, the man, Christ Jesus. We don't have just God. We have the God man. Being God, he grabbed the hold of the hand of the Father. Being man, he grabbed the hold of sinful man. And he died and his blood reconciled us together. 
there is the highest exalted position, unique, that no one else holds. This is what he's, Paul is nailing here. Don't miss it. Paul understood the efficacy of the unique exaltation. In um, Hebrews 2.9 it says, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, was crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and as Stephen was being stoned to death for his witness of Jesus, he saw Jesus stand up to receive the first martyr of the church. The right hand is a place of honor. It's throughout the book of Acts, 233, 755, there where Stephen is seasoned. The right hand is the place of power, privilege, and honor. Romans 8, 34, 2 Corinthians 6, 7, First, uh, or Ephesians 1, 20, Colossians 3, 1, Hebrews 1, 3, and so many other passages, even First Peter 3, 22. The right hand, the right hand, the right hand, the place of honor, the place of privilege. Notice um, Paul the Apostle pointed out God gave Jesus the name that coincides with the exalted position and given him the name which is above every name. Paul again is saying this name is one of a kind, uniqueness. Some say Paul refers to the name Jesus in the next verse. Jesus, as you know, means Yahweh of salvation, the Hebrew name Joshua. This was the name given by Gabriel to Mary. In Matthew one twenty one it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Others say Paul is referring to the title Lord in the next verse. Title Kurios, respect and honor. The title also indicated to a master or an owner of a person in those days. And yet others think, since it has the article, the name, that Paul is referring to the Old Testament concept of God's name, the unspoken, unwritten name of God except for the consonants, Y-H-V-H, the tetragrammaton is a big word that they use for that. The name of God revealed his eternal nature and character as a covenant God, faithful and true, Yahweh. It comes from the root word to be. It's a verb form. He will be whatever the people of Israel allowed him to be. The same root, same covenant for us. We limit him. He does not limit us or himself for us. But we're the ones that allow him to work for us or not allow him to work for us. The, the ball is in our court if we depend upon him. But the uniqueness of the name Jesus includes the two titles. You don't have to choose one or the other. Lord and Christ, Messiah, Master, 
For the context is the revelation of the supreme exaltation all will acknowledge. The key here is not the one particular name. It's the revelation of all of it. It's the name, the humanity of Jesus, but the deity and the ownership. It's not his first and middle and last name. It's a name in two titles. There are other people named Jesus, but never Christ and Lord. There are other people called Jesus who were lords, but not Christ. (laughs) A very unique one. The word above means um, over, beyond, and more than. There is no name that can compare, be equal to, or compete with the Savior of the world. No one. The name Jesus, again, and the titles Christ and Lord all describe his person, position, power to the glory of God the Father as he will finish up with. It's like having the right combination to a lock. If you don't have that combination, it's never going to open. You see, God is the one who exalts man, not man. Promotion does not come from these or the west, but from the Lord, Psalm 75, 6 says. And yet it's innate in man. He wants to promote himself all the time, whether it be in the secular world or even in the church. Either way. When... We are invited somewhere, Jesus said in Luke 14, 10, through the parable, take the lower seat. That someone might come up to you and say, listen, what are you doing back there? Come on up here. Don't walk in and, you know, strut up to the front and sit down and put your feet up and say, hey, where's my drink? And they say, hey, bud, go to the back. Because you'd be humbled. Exaltation is not so much a reward as much as a natural consequence of the spiritual principle of humility lived out. Because the most important person is looking, right? That's God, the Lord. Luke 14, 11 says, For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Peter In 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see, the more you strive to attain, the more you have to strive to maintain The more you strive to get on top, and if you do get on top, you've got to keep fighting and working to stay on top. If God puts you on top, then you don't have to worry about being knocked off unless God wants to remove you. And then why would you fight him? (laughs) The way up is down, right? Exaltation by God is always for serving others. The disciples argued constantly about who is the greatest, wanting 
to be served, not to serve. In our Wednesday morning study, we just touched on that in Matthew chapter 21. There speaks about the uh, mothers of James and John coming and asking Jesus for the right and the left hand (laughs) in your glory. Because they believed he was going to go knock off Rome and set up the kingdom. And she wanted her two boys, left and right hand. Forget those other ten. They're not as good as my boys. And when the ten found out what the two asked, they were indignant. Ticked off. Why? Because the two beat the ten to it. Wow. Thirty dozen. Jesus um, washed the feet of the disciples and said... For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you in John thirteen fifteen. Remember Peter says, you wash my feet, Lord? You'll never wash them. He says, if I can't wash you, I part, neither part nor lot with me. So, Lord, give me a bath. Wow. The name Christian means Christ-like. We should exalt the name of our Savior in our lives in word and deed with the proper motive of God's love for the interests of others. He is the epitome of example for us. So the greatness of his exaltation is is one of a kind. That's what he's getting at. No one like him. Notice secondly in verse 10. You have the extent of his exaltation. The apostle Paul declared the revelation of God in the supreme exaltation of Jesus, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Paul was quoting the prophet Isaiah forty-five twenty-three, as God declared his uniqueness as the savior of the world. The entire earth was to look to Yahweh for salvation, even as God had revealed to Abraham there in Isaiah Forty-five, twenty-two. the verse before. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Gentiles were always included. Israel was to be a light to the heathen so that the heathen could come into the nation of Israel to proselyte. They failed to be a witness of that and they, they took it as self-righteousness. Elitism. Israel was... Centripetal, the nations came in. We, the church, are centrifugal. We go out to the nations. Big difference. There in Isaiah 45, 23, God took an oath by himself. And it shall come to pass, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath referring to the acknowledgement of him as the only Savior, not that they would be saved, all right? It's not saying they're going to be saved, but that they're to acknowledge that he is the only Savior. Paul was saying, he's quoting this, that the plan of God, the Father, was for all to acknowledge the supreme exaltation of Jesus as the God-man, to be the savior of the world. Paul again quoted in Romans 14:11 for the bema seat. The word that 
introduces a purpose clause. It's the word hina, H-I-N-A, indicating that something was planned and executed to bring about a purposeful outcome. That. This was done that and what follows. The planned purpose was that every knee should bow in acknowledgement about the unique supreme exaltation and position belonging to Jesus only. This is what he's nailing. Not that all would agree with God of their own will to be saved. We know that he's the only way, but that's not what he's talking about here. The context of the imagery of bowing the knee refers to acknowledging one's own inferiority before the God-man, his supreme exaltation, not for salvation, but simply that he is in a category all of his own. And it certainly deals as the Savior of the world. The second half of the verse makes this clear. Think through with me. For this includes angels and demons that cannot be saved. So he cannot be talking about salvation here. Are we agreed? (laughs) Okay? No angel can be forgiven or saved, and no demon will be forgiven and saved. So he cannot be talking about salvation. But he's talking about the uniqueness of the position of Jesus that must be acknowledged And will be acknowledged as we'll see. Now notice. The Apostle Paul declared that all inclusiveness of those to acknowledge the revelation of the supreme exaltation of Jesus. Listen to the words of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Paul begins with of those in heaven, the place of origin of Jesus before he came to earth through the incarnation. These refer to all angelic beings that are presently in heaven with God the Father. These angels did not follow Satan in his rebellion. These angels had known the Son of God since they were created for the service of God. These angels willfully bow their knee to Jesus, not only in acknowledgement of his supreme exaltation as a God-man, but do so worshipfully. You do this in heaven. We read it and we'll finish up with this in Revelation. Now these angels comprise different categories of angelic beings, as you know. There are cherubim, and the word cherub is singular, cherubim. Any Hebrew word, anyone that I am, is plural. Cherub, single, cherubim, plural. Um, The word cherub, cherubim, its roots is uncertain, but it is believed it means to cover or to guard. And the first appearance would certainly give credence to this meaning. The first time cherubim appears in the Garden of Eden, garden the tree, of life in Genesis 3:24 the cherubim also appear on the top of the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant as you know guarding the throne of god there on the curtains the veil of the tabernacle that there were in the temple of solomon huge things 
Cherubim have two wings and four wings. Exodus 25:18 and Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 5 through 6. Lucifer once in heaven, now Satan was called the anointed cherub, Ezekiel 10:20. He was one of these guys at one time. There are seraphim, seraphim, PH, found only one in one book, the book of Isaiah. Their word means the burning ones. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we find them. They have six wings. With two, they cover their face. Two, their feet. And two, they fly. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're his throne. There's one called directly also an archangel. Named Michael. Jude verse 9 tells us there's only one chapter in Jude. Archangel means chief of the angels. The term archangel, um, again ascribed to Michael, he's called the prince of the people of Israel, the chief and great prince in Daniel 10, 13, 21, and then 12, 1. Michael has his own angels under his command that will fight with the dragon against his angels in Revelation 12, 7 as they will kick Satan out of heaven, cast him to the earth. Then there are regular angels, ministering spirits to the earth of salvation in Hebrews 1.14. And there are subdivisions in both good and bad angels. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, gives us the distinctions and also in the armor. In Ephesians 6.12, principalities, which mean first ones, preeminent ones, leaders. Powers, which mean authorities or spirits, um, demons of Satan in the lower atmosphere that make up his kingdom. Might refers to their strength and power. And dominion refers to their designated place of authority. We might look at these as Privates, corporals, lance corporals, sergeants, staff sergeants, sergeant majors, so on and so forth. Different categories. So you have these different categories of these angels that exist. Now notice Paul then moves to of those on earth, from heaven to earth, who will bow the knee to the supreme exaltation of Jesus. Those on earth refer to all human beings, male and female. By the way, that's what describes and distinguishes your person, your sexuality. Not your culture, not what you think you are, not what you feel you are. It's your sexuality. God created male and female. Once you put any other category, you have just destroyed the human category for a race. Okay? And that's what's going on in our nation today in academia of the universities. It'll implode on itself all the way. Now, this will take place on one of three ways. Through illumination and conviction 
of the Holy Spirit to repent and be saved before they die. Or through the rejection of the gospel to die lost. Or at the second coming, those who are forced to bow at his return. And we get the preview in Psalm 2. And then the actual coming in Revelation 19. Then notice Paul finishes with of those under the earth. So he's gone to heaven, on earth, male and female. And now those under the earth who will bow their knee to the supremacy of Jesus. Those under the earth are fallen angels. Satan and a third part of the angels that followed him in his rebellion. Now, these are bad angels, fallen. The bad angels of darkness that are, uh, are bound fall under two categories. Those permanently bound in chains in Tartarus for leaving their proper domain or estate. Second Peter 2.4 and Jude verse 6 tells us. And then those temporarily bound on the bottomless pit or the shaft being loosed in the great tribulation, Revelation 9, verse 2 and 14. So there's permanently bound and temporarily bound, okay? Then the bad angels of darkness that are law, are loose, are, are, um, also fall under two categories. Those demons that seem to possess people. Unbelievers, not believers. Demons are fallen angels. Why they need to possess a body, we are not told. They just do. But they're fallen angels. The evil spirits that seem to influence people at times and cause physical maladies like dumbness, deafness, and sickness. That doesn't mean that anybody who has uh, the inability to hear being deaf that they're demon-possessed just the ones that are recorded in Scripture, we know those are responsible for that, okay? So we have to be careful. You don't categorize everybody who has some of those things and you say they're demon-possessed. Now, his kingdom is described as the kingdom of wicked spirits in Ephesians 6.12. John tells us that many spirits have gone out into the world, the cosmos, the worldly system, in 1 John 4.1. Those who die without repenting and are in Hades are waiting for the white throne judgment. They will be judged by Jesus at the white throne judgment, acknowledging his supreme exaltation. But it will be too late for salvation. Being condemned by him to the lake of fire for all eternity. Hebrews 9, 27 is a count unto man that die once and then the judgment. Revelations 20, you have the white throne judgment. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 to 28. After the resurrection, they're brought up and they are judged by God. You see, it is like having the right password to open your account. If you don't acknowledge the correct one, you're never going to get in. It's impossible. All of us have forgotten passwords. Two, three, four times. Then says, you want to 
be reminded of some clues that'll come up, or you want to redo it, or you know, you're going, ah! you don't get in. It can be your, you can't get in. If God highly exalts us before others by what He does through us, it only brings us to greater accountability. To those that much is given, much more is required, as you know. Much like the servant who knew his master's will and didn't do it in Luke 12, 35 through 48. Privilege gives more accountability and responsibility. Whenever God highly exalts us, there will always be the tendency and danger of taking credit. It's so tempting. And the scriptures warn us about it. And I'm always amazed. As I heard Pastor Chuck when I was first born again. I was only 23, 1973. And um, coming from the world, we understand that I was competitive. I was in university competing. And I always, so I understand the pride. I understand all that. But more so in the sinful aspect of it. And yet, when people come to the Lord, if you're not careful, you think you're beyond that. You're not. Because the last thing to die is your flesh. And you've got to reckon a debt every day and every minute of the day. You remember the lame man at the gate of the temple as Peter and John told him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he just grabbed a hole and leaping and praising God through the temple court, and he did all that, and he was actually pointing to Peter and John, saying, these guys did it. Ooh, they were in danger like never before. So when Peter saw it in Acts 3, 12 and 16, I'm quoting, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man to walk? Ooh, good. Good response. Dodge that arrow. In his name, in his name, through faith, in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, meaning Jesus, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This is the greatest challenge to anybody who's up front. A teacher, a preacher, an evangelist. Anybody. Because when God starts doing a work, people are going to tell you how great you are. You're just the greatest thing since ice cream. And I mean, you know, and, and you have to be very, very careful. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. David said, you know, Joab, go number the men in the army. See how many we have. Joab says, why do you want to do that? What does it matter if we have fewer or many? 
God. Go, number them. And because he numbered them, God gave him three choices. He fell into the judgment of God. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We will number the name of the Lord our God. Pride. It's always there, ladies and gentlemen. I have seen many pastors of Calvary Chapel eat it big time. Because of pride. It is ever-present. The crippled man at Lystra was healed. And the people said to Paul and Barnabas, You are gods. Call Paul Hermes because he's the speaker. <laughs> and Zeus was Barnabas. Listen to the response in Acts 14, verse 14 through 16. He says, But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran among the multitudes crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who is bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Whew. Dodge the bullet. Every time someone wants to give you the credit and the glory, get away from it. Two simple principles about God's holiness and His glory. Wrap your arms around His holiness and get miles away from His glory. It's real simple. The extent of His exaltation... All are to recognize it as one of a kind. Notice thirdly in verse 11, we get the height of his exaltation. The Apostle Paul declared the confirmation of the acknowledgement of the revelation of the supreme exaltation of Jesus. He just nails this thing on all, on, the, on all these three verses. Listen to his words. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul revealed that all will articulate this acknowledgement about Jesus. Those that can speak. as human beings. And angels. Right? The word every means any Everyone, no one will be exempt. All human beings, all angelic beings. The word confess, exomologo, means literally to say the same thing. The tense of should confess is error's middle voice. It's to be done by each individual. No one can do it for you. The middle voice always indicates you have to do it. To acknowledge, to agree fully, the revelation made known by the Father about His Son's supreme exaltation. Thayer's says, To speak forth from the heart freely and publicly open. The word appears 11 times in the New Testament, speaking forth. 
Notice Paul revealed every person will acknowledge then Jesus Christ is Lord. When he says this, then you know he's not talking about the salvation of everybody. <laughs> this was the earliest confessional formula of the early church. You find it in Acts 2.36, Romans 10.9, 1 Corinthians 11.23, 12.3, and 16.22 and other passages. The unique exaltation of the God-man, Jesus... His humanity through the incarnation is to be acknowledged. Born of a virgin to save his people from their sins. First time, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Isaiah 7.14, behold, a virgin shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew one twenty one, Gabriel tells her, you call his name Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, quoting Isaiah. That he was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, as John one twenty nine says. John the Baptist confirmed it as cousin. But also Christ, Christos, his deity, first humanity, 100% man, his deity, 100% God, the anointed of God, the Messiah. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John eight fifty eight. I am back there Mount Sinai with Moses. Deity. The high priest under oath asked Jesus if he was the Son of God. In Matthew twenty six sixty four, and Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming. On the clouds of heaven. Deity. Humanity. Merged together. Lord Curios. His sovereignty. Master and owner. Of his creation. See Satan doesn't own the world. He's a squatter. The world's never said to be his. He's the God of this world. The one who. It's making trouble, but he doesn't own this world. You'll never find one verse on that. It is used for owner and master, curios. It is used for title of a Roman emperor. It is used for the heathen gods. It is used for the Old Testament Lord, Adonai. With the small L, O R D, not the capital, that would be Yahweh. All these are the revelation of the name. All three are necessary. Notice the Apostle Paul declared then the affirmation of the acknowledgement of the revelation of the supreme exaltation of Jesus. He just won't let this go. To the glory of God, the Father. Paul understood this acknowledgement had taken place in different ways already. And would continue. But these are not what 
he was referring to in this context. Let me give you some that he already knew were doing this, but he's not, he doesn't touch them. When Jesus descended to Hades, his body did not see corruption, but resurrection. Acknowledging the supreme exaltation of Jesus, the God-man, Acts 2.31. Death couldn't hold him. Hades couldn't hold him. When descended, when he descended to Hades, Jesus preached to the spirits in, pr- in prison. And they acknowledged the supreme exaltation of Jesus, the God-man, in 1 Peter 3.19. To the glory of God, death couldn't hold him. To the glory of God, they all saw the fulfillment. When Jesus descended to Hades, he spoiled the evil angels, principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, acknowledging his supreme exaltation of the God-man, he was able to set the captives free and take them to heaven. Colossians 2.15 and Ephesians 4, 8 and 10. But he's not dealing with any of these. Though he knows they have happened. Okay? Jesus conquered death when he rose from the dead as the first fruits of many to follow. Acknowledging his supreme exaltation as the God-man in 1 Corinthians 15.20. When sinners repented and called on his name, every time they acknowledged his supreme exaltation as the God-man. But none of these is what Paul is talking about. We must stick to the bullseye, not the rings outside the bullseye. Paul is referring to the one day that the universe of angelic beings and human beings will acknowledge this. The glory of the Father was a constant concern of Jesus, as you know. Let me give you some. John twelve twenty eight. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John thirteen thirty one. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Uh, John thirteen thirty two. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. John fourteen thirteen. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. John seventeen one and two. Jesus spoke these words lifted up his, his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. A unique exaltation, supreme majesty, one of a kind. Where is this going to happen? The scene is in heaven and the church before the throne of God. Listen to Revelation chapter 5. Really the whole chapter. The chapter opens up with the vision of at the right hand of him who sat on the throne 
a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and then a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose the seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, to read it. Therefore, John wept much till he heard one of the elders said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by our blood by your blood out of every tribe tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth that is the church ladies and gentlemen it's been raptured before the great tribulation it can identify no other kings and priests from every tongue and nation now notice when you get to verse 11, down to 14, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of a man, of, of many angels, around the throne, the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, listen carefully, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing here it is. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard say blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. So be it. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him and, and who lives forever and ever. Wow. It is like saying the right code to the alarm company that just called your house because your alarm went off and they need the abort code. If the right one is not articulated, they're going to send the cops. <laughs> A unique code. Jesus Christ, Lord. As Christians, we need to proclaim the revelation about Jesus, the exalted God-man for salvation. Listen to Ephesians 1.20 through 22. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, meaning the millennial kingdom. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, 
footstool. He's waiting till his enemies made his footstool. He's waiting. Second Corinthians six two says, for he says, for in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You cannot procrastinate or put off. When God opens a door for you to share, and you share, please do not walk away without saying, would you like to accept Jesus Christ? Sharing is not enough. You must give the invitation. As Christians, we must recognize our own need of bowing to the name of Jesus and confessing publicly that he is Lord. Matthew 10.32 says, Therefore, whoever confesses before man, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny him, then he denies you before the Father in heaven. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has been in, uh, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they, Hebrews 1.4. He did not ascribe this position of exaltation to angels. But to the Son. As Christians, we cannot alter the revelation of Jesus the God man. You have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him above the works of your hand. Hebrews two seven. There is such a pressure, culture, and all of it to, to change the way people get to heaven, to corrupt the biblical text, to water down the word of God, to be politically correct, to be multicultural, to be non-judgmental. Well, if you're going to be biblical, you're going to be called sectarian, racist, bigot, hypocrite. I'm not going to give you a hug. The height of the exaltation, it will be declared to be one of a kind. So Paul has given the consequential outcome of the humiliation of Christ here by the threefold description of the glorification of Christ. By the greatness of his exaltation, it is one of a kind. The extent of his exaltation, all are to recognize it as one of a kind. And the height of his exaltation, it will be declared, proclaimed to be one of a kind. Wow. Incredible, incredible person, Paul. That God would use him. He gave him three years in the wilderness, in the desert of Arabia. Disciple him like the disciples. <laughs> and yet, Paul was brilliant, but he didn't know the scriptures. That's why he had to spend three years with Jesus in the desert. Wow. Thank God. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you continue to deal with our hearts. And we pray for those that are here, those over the internet and the radio, Lord, that you would speak to them. And the Lord, they would call on your name. If you're out there, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you're out there listening in Radio Land, out there somewhere in the world, 
You can call on Him to forgive you of your sins if you believe that He is Lord and Savior who died for your sins and He will forgive you and make you a new creation. This is your prayer to Him if you want to do that and He's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.